The Athletic. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Each week I'm joined by a selection of writers from The Athletic uh, to bring you unrivaled access and insight into the biggest stories uh, in football. And this season we're going to give you even more content every week as well on this feed. So on Wednesdays uh, we'll have Dan Bardell and Flo Lloyd Hughes going in-depth on their favourite piece from The Athletic each week. Thursdays it'll be myself and Matt Slater looking at the business of sport and then on Fridays Dan is back with a comprehensive preview to set you up for every Premier League weekend. This week we've got the Athletics Adam Crafton, our Spanish football correspondent Dermot Corrigan and our Italian football writer James Horncastle Uh, and we will talk Romelu Lukaku uh, in a little while with Chelsea agreeing to spend 115 million euros on him but there's only one place to start and that is with uh, the tearful Lionel Messi saying goodbye to Barcelona and heading to Paris. Well, let's start with you then, uh, Adam, on Lionel Messi uh, and Paris Saint-Germain. And before I bring in Dermot, and Dermot can react to this as well, maybe I'm just cynical, but I find it very hard to believe anything that I hear about this transfer story, bar the fact that he will end up at Paris Saint-Germain. That's the only thing I do actually believe. Yeah, and I think since you know, since the whole process started last Thursday, when this statement came slightly out of the blue about Barcelona announcing Lionel Messi will not continue at the club, I don't think anyone even though the club was saying this was going to happen, I don't think people really believed it. We've seen so many times these games of cat and mouse between uh, Messi and Barcelona and La Liga. And I think everyone just sort of presumed it was kind of a negotiating tactic. And then, you know, Thursday evening, it became clear that, you know, he told PSG that, that he was interested in the move. And I think that's when everything started to change. And then by Friday, um, the Barcelona president, Jean Laporta, was a, was doing a press conference saying it's over. And then on Sunday, he was in tears and saying farewell. So it's moved extremely quickly. I, I do think it's true that this has been a shock to everyone, both at Barcelona, Messi, PSG, that they just weren't able to, to get La Liga to budge and make it in a way that the salary cap would be relaxed for another year and that Messi would be able to sign on. But this time, I, th- I think it's real. Derma, I suppose... I suppose one of the things that makes me so cynical about it all is that I'm not sure who to believe on the on the Barcelona Messi side of things. Yeah, well, what what makes this different that from like Adam is correct that in the past there have been every time Messi was going to sign a new contract there was bits of to and fro whether he was going to go to Chelsea or or Manchester United or, or whoever it was always came out. But the difference this time is that Barca are just completely broke. Like, Barca just don't have the money. Even with the negotiations with, with Messi about how much of a salary drop he was willing to take, all that kind of thing, it's kind of immaterial in the end. Whether Barca, whether Laporta um, was just, and the people at Barca were just unwilling to face up to that reality or not until last week, or whether they knew that, but they were stringing everybody else, including the Messis, along, we still don't really know. But it's difficult for everybody to take it on board, including... Messi himself, including the Barcelona squad, they were all convinced that he was going to stay. Messi himself came back from Ibiza last week, sure that he was going to stay. But it, but it was always going to be super, super difficult. They can't even register the four players that they've signed so far this summer. And the club, they're going to have to sell more players before the end of the window. The drama is not over at Barcelona yet. So it, it's super, it, it's, it's a huge story. It, it's Messi leaving, but it's um, it's kind of inevitable in a way because Barca just can't afford to keep him. Well, let's just deal with, with that Barcelona side of things then and then, and then we'll explore Messi a, a little bit more at Paris Saint-Germain. But 
So the players they've already brought in this summer at this stage, they can't register for, for similar reasons to, for the financial reasons they can't keep Messi. Yeah, Barcelona's debts are so big, like they owe 1.3 billion euros is the last public uh, figure that was put out there. Laporta said, when he explained why Messi was leaving on, on Friday, he said that their debts are even higher than, than they thought. So under La Liga's rules or under, you know, the logical financial rules that at some stage have to come into, into play, Barca just can't afford to do it. Their, their salaries with Messi would be 110% of the revenues for the season. Without him, they're 95%. They have to get down to 70% for, for La Liga. So until they do that, which means selling more players or getting huge pay cuts from, from the guys that they have in the squad at the minute, who they've already, some of them have already agreed to Ferrells. The people they've signed, Aguero, Memphis Depay, Emerson Royale and Eric Garcia are in limbo and I don't think they're going to be able to play against Real Sociedad at the weekend. What, what on earth were they doing signing those four players knowing what was coming down the train tracks? I mean, that, I mean, the, put, putting Messi to one side, if you look at your balance sheet and you look at your budget and you realise what, what you're about to do, why on earth sign them? Barcelona have always been able to get away with things. You know, they've, they've been run badly for, for years. They've been able to splash money on Coutinho and Dembele and Griezmann as well to a certain extent. And reality hasn't hasn't caught up with them yet. But at some stage, they've hit the bottom. It's like the you know millionaires, billionaires who live beyond their means for ages. They keep their big house. They, they keep living the millionaire lifestyle until finally, you know, the creditors come to the door or the police come to the door or whoever it is, and they can't go on doing it anymore. And we we haven't really seen it in football because football seems to live beyond those type of, of rules. But in this case at Barcelona at the minute, the circumstances are so bad that that reality, that hard bump has happened. And I was speaking to people around the club this morning kind of about what's going to happen after Messi. And they say it's not over yet that some people quite close to, to senior players in the dressing room who wonder, you know, whether if an English club came in with a bid for one of the players who Barca don't want to get rid of before the end of the, the transfer window, whether they might be forced due to this situation to accept it. The, the other commercial thing here, and James, you, you'll have seen this with Ronaldo going to Juventus and actually the knock-on effect at Real Madrid of Ronaldo leaving Real Madrid, what it can do commercially. So Barcelona already struggling financially. Commercially, they are going to take a hit because, well, their social media numbers will drop simply by Lionel Messi leaving. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's always been the fear when you lose one of these players is that they take their following with them. Uh, and so... Anything that you've had or experienced in the meantime is is a fear more really. Yeah, it's it goes up it goes up in smoke. But yeah, I mean, I think Messi over the course of his career at Barcelona has done more to kind of you know sort of create wealth for that club than than anybody else and draw people to that club than anybody else. It was a massive club. It still is a massive club. But Laporta is going to have to be, come up with new and creative ways to. Uh, not only just pay down the debt, but let's say maintain some of the revenues that this uh, that, that this this club was used to. So it's a very challenging job. I'm surprised he even stood <laughs> for president. Who would stand for president for Barcelona, knowing uh, what was uh, what what they were inheriting? Um, it's a little bit like uh, I think the mayor of Baltimore in the Wire. It's just you know, it's it's it's, it's not a good situation <laughs> to be in. <laughs> Uh, whereas presumably, Adam, Paris Saint-Germain commercially have already gone like that, have they? Just on the back, I mean, even though it's not confirmed yet. I mean, it's not confirmed, but I think as we're talking now, he has now agree formally agreed to join PSG. So um, I think from PSG's point of view, they've, they, they've been saying over the last few days, this investment will pay for itself. That's the thing they keep saying. 
this deal will pay for itself. And we're talking 25 million euros signing on fee, 25 million euros net per year at least um, for two years, possibly a third year as well. So you're talking, you know, way beyond 100 million euros here. And PSG is simply saying this will cover itself. So how does it cover itself? It's going to be, I think, one of the one of the big stories in European football over the next couple of years because all their rivals are going to be looking at this saying, how are they not breaching financial fair play when you have Neymar, I think, earning beyond 30 million euros net as well per year. They're trying to tie down Mbappe. They want to keep Mbappe as well as having Messi and Neymar despite his contract running down next year. They want to sign Paul Pogba next summer. Um, so they're not stopping. They've got Sergio Ramos, Donnarumma, Verratti, Hakimi. I mean, it's really the Harlem Globetrotters of football. Um, so the, from the commercial side, I think on the one hand, they will take a long view and think this will raise the profile of the French League, broadcasting rights available in the French League. I think they will look at sponsorship agreements, which I know are already being negotiated and renegotiated in some senses, big activations across existing sponsor platforms. And also, one of the things that's very difficult to put a price on is the value to Qatar. Um, And the PSG um, obviously are owned by essentially owned by the Qatari state and the World Cup is in Qatar in 2022. Now, what if they then have Messi, Neymar and Mbappe all lining up behind that project? There's probably not a financial figure you put on that, but in terms of soft power, it's about as hard a soft power as you can ever get. Um, Particularly when you set that against the backdrop of several players starting to become social activists, starting to speak out, particularly during the last Euros around gay rights and things such as that. And there is a real anxiety in Qatar about, you know, what if that starts to happen in 2022? So to have these major voices aligned with the Qatar project is, um, you know, is, re- is, is really significant. And let's look at it from the football side of, of things then, and because we'll, we'll, we'll do more commercially on, on the pod on, on Thursday, on the business of sport pod. From a Barcelona perspective at the moment, Dermot, and, and, and also taking into account what you were saying about them being unable to register the four players, what's the best that Barcelona can hope for this season? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a super difficult job for Coleman to try and put things together. He's also got Ter Stegen and, and De Jong, who are maybe their two best young players. They're both injured at, at the minute. They're going to miss the start of the season. Pedri's just come back from the Olympics. He's going to need a break uh, at some stage. Like they, they do have, they do still have quite some very good players. You know, Griezmann, Coutinho. The, the hope is that with Messi gone, that the shadow of Messi or the weight of having to the Messi dependence that that everybody always talked about won't be there anymore. That Kuman has an idea of how to to get the team to play because Messi does. He was brilliant for them last season. Scored thirty goals in, in thirty three La Liga games and won them the, the Copa del Rey as well. But he does determine how the team has to play. If you have Messi in the team, everybody else has to kind of work around that, and all the attacks go through Messi as that the stats guys Tom and Mark have shown on the site today. The hope is that they'll be able to be released in a, in a little way that, that Griezmann will start to score more goals, that Coutinho might, might settle in. That's a huge hope, though, because the, the feeling around the club at the minute is so gloomy. Speaking to people who know the players, they were all convinced, that, as Messi was, that he was going to stay, that it was going to work out. They're all really sad. They were crying at the, the press conference. You know, they'll get over that, I guess, that the initial kind of sadness, but it, it's still a, a huge weight on them. Plus... Lots of them are being asked to take pay cuts. Some of them have know that they were the club were trying to sell them this summer. Coleman has a huge job on his hands. Coleman is liked by the within the dressing room. I think he, he's managed to, to handle the situation as well as possible. But it's still huge. Like 
the idea of Barca winning trophies next season, cha- challenging the Champions League, is is impossible to think of at this stage. The Liga maybe a little bit easier because the Liga's overall level has dropped. But Barca of ten years ago, it's going to be a long time before it comes back. And then, ha- what's the knock-on effect from a Paris Saint-Germain point of view, then, Adam? Because the most obvious thing to say, and I'm sure the owners of Paris Saint-Germain are saying this as well. They now have to win the Champions League. Yeah, well, they've got to win the French League first. Um, they, didn't win that, yeah. they didn't win that last season. There, there's several knock-on effects. The first one is they've got the best player in the world. And the impact of that for, for Mauricio Pochettino is obviously huge in terms of expectations. I think the expectation, any, I mean, they thought they'd won the transfer window before this. They now think they've won the lottery because, you know, even last week, people were looking at PSG's business and thinking, Sergio Ramos... Uh, Hakimi from Inter Milan, Donnarumma, Genie Wijnaldum, and then you had Messi on top of it into a squad that you know was already supremely talented and, and one of the most highly rated coaches in the world. And you almost think, how can it fail? I think there is a, there's a slight question mark about Pochettino. He didn't have a fantastic start in the second half of last season. I think his job at PSG is also fundamentally different to what we saw him do at Tottenham and Southampton, where it was all about working with young players who very much owed him for their breaks and for their development. And now you have ready-made superstars looking at him and basically saying, just make us win. Um, you don't need to make us better. We're Messi, we're Neymar, we're Mbappe. Just make us win. And that's a very different challenge. It's not about culture and development. It's about success. And we also know, you know, Zinedine Zidane is out of work at the moment. And we know that he is probably the most adept coach in world football at just, you know, taking superstars and making them perform. So that's going to you know, that, that will be an interesting dynamic over the next few months. How much Pochettino enjoys that? Uh, because you know we saw earlier in the summer he did hold talks with Tottenham. Those who know him actually thought he was closer to joining Real Madrid this summer than than Tottenham, despite those conversations. So that that's going to that's going to be you know probably re- a really definitive year coming up, not only for PSG in terms of their project about wanting to win the Champions League, but also what kind of manager is Mauricio Pochettino. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. The other thing that comes into all of this is this is just looking at it from a football point of view, Adam. But as we all know... Paris Saint-Germain at times have been a circus already. And as James will evidently explain from the Juventus point of view, when, when Cristiano Ronaldo joined there, the circus is just going to get going to get an awful lot bigger. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think one of the, the interesting things from, from Juventus' point of view is that, yeah, the debate is, is still open as to whether that deal has actually worked out from a commercial point of view, but also on the pitch, because progressively Juventus have got worse as they've moved away from being a collective to being a team that is ultimately built around one individual and doesn't always align with the coaching choices that they make. Because, you know, I think fans these days, they look at coaches and they they want a coach that plays attractive football, high-pressing football. You know, that is always on the agenda. And yet, you know, often that just doesn't coalesce with, with teams that are built around a massive individual. You know, and that's been the case with, with Cristiano. Um, I think the thing with PSG is they've already <laughs> lived through this with Zlatan, with Neymar, yeah. with now with, with Messi. They're all going to put all these individuals together. And it's been quite curious, actually, you know, looking back at, 
at the MSN at Barcelona where that front three did actually work together. It was almost like you didn't need a midfield. It was like you needed a defence and you needed that attack. You buy, you just punted it, not punted it long, but just got it to Messi and those guys figured it out and it was irresistible. So it's it's, it's going to be it's a real big challenge. I mean, it must be very exciting for Pochettino having gone from some transfer windows at Spurs where he knew he was not going to get anything <laughs> <laughs> or he'd have to wait until the absolute last minute to get... Are you, are you suggesting there's a contrast between Daniel Levy and the owners of Paris Saint-Germain? <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just staggering. I mean, and, and also... I find but also, it- James, I, was, I also think from... We mentioned Gino Wijnaldum here, who, who was the first one in this summer at Paris Saint-Germain, and all the indications were for about six months that he was going to Barcelona. <laughs> and can you imagine him now thinking, oh my, what a, what a close shave that was. Yeah, but as, as Adam has said... And, and Jack Pitbrook reported um, at the time, you know, Poch seriously swayed by the idea of going back to Spurs earlier in this window. Um, <laughs> it just, it's football is an absolute, I mean, football bloody hell, as Sir Alex said, yeah. it's just absolutely <laughs> mad. It must be a, a, a party and a half in Madrid, isn't there, Dermot? Yeah, everybody in Madrid is. He's very happy to see what's going on at Barcelona for sure. There still is a big hope that they're going to sign Kylian Mbappe. He's on the front page of the Spanish sports press again here this this early this week because they kind of think that maybe those financial fair play rules that, that I was talking about are going to catch up on PSG and at some stage they're going to have to let Mbappe go or that Mbappe just won't sign a let Mbappe go this summer or that Mbappe just won't sign a contract and they'll be able to get him for free next year. That's That remains to be seen. On the well, another thing that Madrid are happy about is that their own financial situation is not so great. It's not as, as bad as Barcelona's for sure, but they haven't spent a penny in the transfer market this summer. And you know, barring some miracle with, with Mbappe, they're not going to either. They're still trying to move out some players. So if the focus is on on Barcelona, that's good for them. W- one thing to pick up on what the guys were saying about Pochettino is that Argentinian link and um, the South American link that's at Paris Saint Germain looks super useful for for signing Messi. Uh, I don't have. Super insight on on the decision process. I guess money is the most important reason why why Leo and his, his dad Jorge decided to go to PSG. But the Pochettino seems more, more likely just to be able to understand Messi because he's such a difficult character. He's had for coaches to manage for, for people around the club to to keep him happy has been a huge challenge at Barcelona to keep him very sensitive. He's very doesn't really speak to people even with with Laporta at the weekend. The, the conversations with the president as he left the club were all via text message. They didn't even you know have a a face-to-face chat. Pochettino coming from the same part of Argentina as Messi um, should be a help in that and just getting the communication there, being able to, to talk to him and also having Di Maria and, and Neymar there who, who know him well and who are, who are friends, you'd imagine would make it easier for Messi to fit in because we saw him on, on Sunday at, at the camp now in, in tears and looking so affected by leaving Barcelona. He, he just didn't want to go. He didn't want to uproot his family. It's going to be it's going to be difficult for him to, to settle in at any new club, but um, with those people around him at Paris, it, it might make it a little bit easier. I mean, again, to, to just riff on 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 Poch, yeah, okay, he's maybe uniquely placed to to deal with this situation given the the ties that he, he may have with with the abundance of Argentines. Yeah, I mean, even Paredes has gone and won the Copa America. Verratti has won the Euros. Wijnaldum's there. I mean, they've got they've got a very good midfield. I mean, we we can maybe discuss another day about how balanced this team is. But this is the biggest year in the history of this project the Qataris have got. Not only for what Adam said about the the, the World Cup in 2022, but also it's the 10th anniversary of them investing. And at the time, I remember Nasser Khalafi saying when they signed Javier Pastore as the poster boy of this project, that we do not 
need to sign a Messi. We are going to find the next Messi, the other Messis. And ultimately, it's come full circle and they've realised that it takes a Messi. It takes a Messi to deliver what the Qataris want. So, I mean, that all, the, all that, I think, the timing of this, all that just adds, I think, to the pressure on, on Pochettino. So it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how he manages that over however long he gets. <laughs> uh, do you think as well, I mean, there's been a lot of talk the last few days about, you know, oh, is, is it a sideways step? Is it a backwards step uh, for Messi to take? I do think that all that pressure that we're describing around the expectations upon PSG, um, the fact they haven't won a Champions League, the fact that he's gone to a club owned by Qatar means he'll almost certainly give us one more World Cup now, which gives another challenge for him to look forward to, you know, in 18 months' time in Qatar. And PSG are a better team than Barcelona. They have a better coach. He's, his chances of winning a cha- another Champions League are far higher at Paris Saint-Germain than they would be at Barcelona. I mean, Barcelona haven't really come close. They've not won it for, was it six years now, Dermot, since they, since they won the Champions League? Yeah, since Neymar left, they haven't come close to, to winning it. The close they got was the right. semi-finals. They got hammered by Liverpool with Wijnaldum. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so, so they've been battered by Liverpool, by Munich, and um, Roma, and Roma, and PSG the last you know the last few years, and, and pretty handsomely, handsomely, and Messi was on the pitch each time and felt that and experienced that, and then having to deal with you know always politics off the pitch and maybe. You know, yes, he's very emotional on Sunday when he's saying goodbye, but there might be part of him just thinking, might have a better chance of winning stuff here. I don't understand the side, the sideways backwards step. I mean, what are people? Where are people expecting him to to go? I mean, is this is this the age old Guardiola argument? Let's see if he, you know if he took over Swindon. Let's see if he, <laughs> let's see if he can take them to Premier League. I mean, is that what people? Are, where are people expecting Messi to go? Well, I've, I've seen just sort of a lot of. I mean, this is just social media noise, really, but stuff like why? Oh, it's such a boring move. You know, of all the moves he could have got done, why has he gone there? Why hasn't he gone somewhere more interesting? But really, I mean, is it any more boring than Bayern Munich signing all of Borussia Dortmund's best players, for example, year in, year out, or things like, or you know, or Manchester City signing Aston Villa's best player? You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure where people thought he could go, given unless people expect him to take a 90% pay cut rather than a 50% pay cut. I mean, it's still pretty extraordinary figures in, involved, but the only club that could do the deal this summer really were PSG. There, there wasn't a battle. There wasn't. When, you know, when this all broke on Thursday, the only club that really went in were PSG. And they were, PSG were really worried that Chelsea might move. There was some very, very odd speculation in South America that Tottenham had made a phone call. But again, I mean, even if they have, people were mocking this. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you? Why, you know, why wouldn't you just have a call, see if he does fancy that equivalent of Guardiola going to Swindon um, and see whether you can take Tottenham to UEFA Conference League glory um, in your first season um, in England. But... Yeah, I don't know where people expect him to go. Manchester City weren't in for him this summer. Manchester United had done their business. Arsenal can't afford him. Liverpool can't afford him. Can't go to Real Madrid. Bayern Munich weren't in. Juventus have no money. Inter Milan are broke. This is where he's going. We're going to leave that there and move on to Romelu Lukaku. But Dermot, thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Cool. Cheers, man. Cheers, guys.
So on to Romelu Lukaku then. David Ornstein's still on holiday, but he, he never stops working. He broke the news over the weekend that Chelsea had agreed to this £150 million euro fee within to Milan to bring him back to Stamford Bridge seven years after he first left. Simon Johnson uh, joins us, covers Chelsea for the Athletic. Has this developed pretty quickly from a Chelsea point of view? Yeah, very much so, because it's it's a it's a deal that sort of stepped up in the last few weeks. Um, it almost took Chelsea several months to accept that Erling Haaland was not going to happen. And then it was a case of sort of going through their alternative options. Now, Lukaku's always been sort of high up on the sort of as an alternative, but they wanted to sort of see if there was any joy on the Haaland front. But once they made their minds up and, and sort of decided to go for Lukaku, they, they've made it pretty quick, to be honest. This is a deal that's been wrapped up in, in the space of a couple of weeks. I suppose it highlights their urgency to have a number nine because they could have waited a year and Haaland's fee would have dropped. That That is the theory based on his release clause in, in his contract. But the feeling from Tuchel and everybody within the club was they couldn't wait 12 months. No, and also you've got to remember the reason they were trying to get Haaland this year is because they were fully aware of the intense competition of next year where all the big clubs will be sort of straight in there looking to obviously trigger that release clause, which is significantly less. And then you're talking about the agent's fees, etc. So th- it was kind of a now or never really for Chelsea. And I, I sort of think that Haaland w- would have been a fantastic signing, uh, Eden Hazard-esque in terms of what it would do for Chelsea. But Romelu Lukaku coming back is is no sort of just, is not, not just a mere consolation. This is a significant buy. And I think with Chelsea are getting the finished article, whereas Haaland, they would have, undoubted talent though he is, there would have been a, a little bit of a question mark of how quickly he'd settled into the Premier League. Uh, when Manchester United, Adam, bought uh, Paul Pogba back, the the perception is, oh, that's dreadful business. Let him, let him go early in his career and then bring him back. But you talk to certain people within United, they were more than happy with that because they bring back a superstar who's then likely to sell more shirts than if he'd just progressed mm. through the youth level and reserves into the first team. That's how they looked at it from a commercial point of view. Yeah, whereas now they're looking at how they can let him go for, for, a, <laughs> for a second time, for absolutely nothing. Um, but no, certainly at the time, you know, Pogba, there was so much excitement around him and also the Adidas branding around it. I don't think Lukaku is necessarily on that scale from a commercial perspective. You know, I think the value he will bring to Chelsea will probably be more on the field. Just also because Chelsea, they seem to buy, you know, a big name striker every other summer. And it, it really seems to go well. I mean, they've had, apart from Drogba, Diego Costa for a, year, for a year and a half, they've really struggled to get a number nine, you know, that, that's right for them. I mean, I remember talking a few years ago when Lukaku went to Manchester United to Frank Arneson, who was the Chelsea technical director, sporting director um, in the early Abramovich days. And they, they were first offered Lukaku, I think, for £2 million before they eventually spent, I think, well beyond, was it over £15 million when they first brought him to the club? Yeah. So they could have actually had him for £2 million and kept him this whole time. As it is, they spent more in the first place and now they're obviously spending a huge amount. But I mean, I think like we said on the, this podcast last week, when, when you look at this Chelsea team, all the creative talent they have, the wide players, the pace, the trickery, good quality in midfield. They're just they're screaming out for a proper striker. And Lukaku answers that. And, you know, Tuchel put himself in such a position by winning the Champions League that, you know, he deserves to get the person 
that he's identified. And I think Simon's absolutely right on Haaland. Next summer is going to be very, 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 very difficult because you're going to have a set fee in terms of the release clause in his contract. And then you're going to have Mina Raiola's agent fees and they are going to be high. Um, and we already have Bayern Munich yesterday issuing a public statement saying that they are interested in doing that deal. Manchester United will want a replacement for Edison Cavani next summer. If Manchester City don't get Harry Kane, they'll be in. Real Madrid are in. Barcelona might be in by that stage if they get another big loan. So, but uh, yeah, I think that would be a really tough deal for Chelsea. And Lukaku, he comes back with a point to prove as well. And I don't think that's ever a bad thing for a player when they're making when they are making a transfer. What on earth are Inter Milan doing, James? It's something that a lot of their fans are asking, uh, Chappers, because they knew the situation was bleak. Really, for the last six months, they've picked up the newspapers, they've turned on the radio, and they've heard stories about the club needing emergency financing. Uh, that uh, all is not well. Uh, with the owner's uh, business interests in in China. And even though uh, at the end of May, they were able to get a hedge fund, Oak Tree Capital, to loan them $275 million. And cynics would say that if you add up Hakimi, add up Lukaku, add up Lautaro, which we might get to, you get to $275 million. Mm. Uh, they thought that Hakimi was the only one that was going to leave. I think, you know, the... The canary down the coal mine was was Antonio Conte, you know, ultimately, because Conte at the end of the season, after winning the league and thinking, hoping that it was the beginning of something with Inter, that they could actually make serious inroads in the Champions League if they kept adding to the team. <laughs> he walked away. He, he agreed a severance package with the club. They sold Hakimi. There were some protests at the time outside Inter's offices. Uh, and then things calmed, but things calmed because the Euros were going on. And as soon as they finished, it turns out you've had parallel talks. Lukaku and Chelsea, Lautaro and Tottenham, Atletico and Arsenal. And, you know, as far as our reporting has told us so far, yeah, it was, you know, one sale precludes the other. But at the moment, Chappers, the owners have very little credibility. There's a feeling inside the club that even if the executive team wanted to resist the sale of Lukaku, because certainly Lukaku did not want to leave. Um, you know, he felt he had a special legacy at Inter He'd become not only the face of that club, the face of Milan, also the face of a league, which was supposed to be Cristiano Ronaldo's. That's no mean feat. It's huge for his brand as well. And if he'd stuck around and retained the title, it would have been the 20th in Inter's history, which would have brought them a second star that they could put over their new crest. And that means an awful lot in Italy. If you're part of a team that does that, it kind of consolidates your place in 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 the in, in in posterity. So for him to leave, I think it, it just goes to show for all the spin that we've heard that he came to the club, he has to leave. The club was still not reaching the financial targets it needed to make um, for the end of the transfer window. And I think fans are crossing their fingers and hoping no one else leaves. Well, Lautaro will go. Sorry, Lautaro will we'll go. We'll have to see. Um, I, I think ultimately it's it's clear that Premier League clubs they smell blood in the water and sharks are circling uh, right now. And, you know, if, if it wasn't Lukaku, it was him. We'll, we'll have to see if there is genuine resolve at Inter to keep a player who, let's not forget, is young, has considerable resale value. I mean, we're talking figures of 70 million basic fee, 20 million in add-ons, but he's only got two years left on his contract. And he changed his agents in April. 
and his agents have said, okay, you agreed a, an, an extension with your previous agents. Basically, that couldn't be signed off on because of all these financial things going on in the background at Inter. And now the agents are okay with kind of, well, let's see what happens. At least let's see what happens in the final three weeks of this transfer window. James, can I ask, given everyone across Europe has known that Inter are financially very vulnerable this summer, how have they still managed to get really pretty good fees from PSG for Hakimi, Lukaku, Chelsea, you know, they managed to push them pretty much towards that 100 million figure. Lautaro seems like that's going to be pretty high as well. How, is that just the quality of the players? But because it doesn't seem like there was a, a race on for Lukaku. It was just Chelsea. I think it's a combination of things. I think the situation is different from Barcelona in as far as their elite players were signed for less money than Sale, Usman Dembele or Coutinho. And while Inter's wage bill is huge... What's expensive for Inter isn't expensive for a Premier League club, for an elite club in terms of wages. So, yeah, Hakimi was on a lot of money, but it was very easy for, for PSG basically to say, look, we can pay you more, as it is with Chelsea, who are essentially, I think, signed conf- confirmed this almost doubling what he, he was on um, at Inter. And then you have the very real issue that Inter have to recover their losses. They have to conclude the original deals that brought these players to Inter, you know, into, with with Ashraf Hakimi, it's the final installments on the deal that, that that they signed with Real Madrid, with Lukaku, it's the final installments on the, on the, on the deal that they signed with Manchester United. So all of these things kind of have have pushed, I think, those uh, those fees a little bit higher. And also, I mean, there is significant cash. You know, I mean, Lukaku is the MVP of the league, the top scorer of the league. I think he's as close as as, as Chelsea could come to getting a guarantee of of, of solving. Um, their problems at, at that number nine position, at least this summer. And now with the signing of Lukaku, Simon, is that we expect you to win the league? <laughs> oh yeah, it's over. You know, just uh, you know, give him the trophy now. <laughs> oh no, no, no. But I bet, but I bet Manchester City fans would say, "Well, hang on a minute. If we'd spent that amount of money last summer, and then added with a nearly one hundred million pound striker this summer." Every, the media will be going, give them the title now, given the business that they've done in the transfer market. So you look at the past two summer transfer windows for Chelsea and it, there wouldn't be many boards who wouldn't then expect the league title after after that outlay. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, the, the Chelsea board is pretty expectant, but the, the only caveat that, that I'm providing here is Chelsea haven't challenged for a league title since they won it, they lost one in 2017. Plus, you have to respect the the current champions. But you, you're totally right, Mark, that that Chelsea's investment last summer and what they're doing this summer is to put themselves back as as an, an elite club. Now, people go, well, yeah, they've just won the Champions League. That's very much ahead of schedule. I don't think anyone in the club sort of expected that to happen. But when you've got Thomas Tuchel and his tactical uh, mastermind that, that, that he clearly is, with the players he now has. Lukaku is very much the missing piece in this jigsaw, but there is an unproven element to this squad still that, yes, they're a very good cup side, but can they have the consistency to do it over 38 games like Manchester City and Liverpool have done in the last few seasons? Presumably this means Tammy Abraham will be sold, and the second part of that is what what does it do for for Timo Werner? What does it do for Kai Havertz, for example? Both players who have been used through the middle with slightly differing instructions over the last twelve months. Well, Tammy Abraham was going anyway. He himself 
wanted to leave. Um, his contract's been running down. Chelsea don't want, obviously, that to happen. They want to get top dollar for him. And Tuchel himself has not really been playing him since he took over in January. So the Tammy Abraham situation was, was always going to develop whether Lukaku arrived or not. Um, it is just obviously now accelerated. And it's a question of where he goes now. Chelsea would prefer to sell him abroad for obvious reasons. But uh, Tammy Abraham would love to go to Arsenal, uh, the club that he grew up supporting. As for what it does for the rest of the team, um, how it's going to line up, um, good luck, Thomas Tuchel, um, in terms of keeping all these players happy. For Timo Werner, it could be just what he needs, really, to to relieve the pressure that he seems to be playing under. You could sort of see a, a sort of a Lukaku, similar partnership that he enjoyed with Martinez. But at the same time, Havertz and Mason Mount will be probably saying they should be first choice behind Lukaku. I still expect the season to start with a 3-4-3 formation that Tuchel won the Champions League with, but he now has the option to play with two up top. And I think he's just got options galore. And and that's why I think the point of your question to begin with, Mark, why you have to take Chelsea seriously as a title contender, because they've got so many options. What does this do for Manchester City, this deal, Adam? Um, I think it puts pressure on them. You know, actually, I remember a few months ago, we were reporting Lukaku was obviously one of the players that Manchester City were also looking at. And eventually they decided to go all in on Harry Kane. I mean, to the extent that they've not even, you know, broached the subject of Lionel Messi over the last few days. And, you know, it's just, just interesting, just during this podcast, receiving some texts from people close to PSG who were, you know, were saying things like, you know, uh, Chelsea are about to pay 150 million for, for Lukaku in, you know, in a transfer fees and, you know, Messi's entire contract could be worth less, less than that with, with us at PSG. And I'm not sure whether that's quite accurate, but, you know, PSG have this sense that whatever City or Chelsea do this summer in terms of a striker probably won't work out that much less than what they're spending on Messi. So, there's pressure on City both domestically and continentally now because other clubs are strengthening. And City, from an attacking point of view, yeah, they've brought Jack Grealish in, but in terms of the people who are going to score goals, they've lost their, their greatest goal scorer in Sergio Aguero. And I think, you know, clubs like Chelsea, Man United, even you know, Liverpool will be looking at it and thinking, let's see how City start. Let's see how City start. Let's see if we can stop them breaking away early and, and give them a bit more of a challenge this time around. Uh, we will leave it there. Uh, Simon, Adam, James, uh, thank you very much. That's it then. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's been so busy, we didn't even get the chance to talk about Jack Grealish, but you can read about the inside story of his move to Manchester City on The Athletic. And if you head to theathletic.com slash footballpod, you'll get a 33% discount off the price of an annual subscription. Theathletic.com slash footballpod. And that will give you a 33% discount. If you're a Villa fan, by the way, you can search for our dedicated Villa podcast, 1874. I'll be back on this feed on Thursday with Matt Slater for a Business of Sport pod. Tomorrow, we'll have Dan Bardell, Flo Lloyd-Hughes and Laurie Whitwell examining the current state of Manchester United and whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can deliver success this season. Bye for now. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Kevin Day, and twice a week, Liverpool University accountancy boffin and the self-confessed most boring man in Britain, Kieran Maguire, and I discuss the money behind the beautiful game on the Price of Football podcast. We cover all levels of the game and clubs and leagues all over the world. 
so you can know the difference between your amortization and depreciation and your FFP and your EPPP, whichever team you follow. I'm just counting the P's. Yes, it's not just about accountancy though, thank God. You'll also regularly hear about sordid nights out in Russia and Blackpool and get to enjoy frequent contributions from Kieran's dog Finley, as well as our bro-flake bromance. Every Thursday, we look at the latest football finance stories and every Monday, we answer your questions about anything related to the money side of the game all you have to do is email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Just search for The Price of Football in your podcast app and give us a follow now to get every new episode as soon as it comes out.